0: Not to mention the uh, Oakland Township.
1: Just put that. Is. gravity tends to go on. Up and you can beat most of them. <laughs> morning, Pastor.
2: Good morning.
3: It's a little chilly really outside. Yeah, that's okay. It's a perfect temperature considering outside. Yeah, as soon as you turn up the heat, it's going to get too hot in here. You know? That's a good point. Everybody will be asleep. I don't
2: want that. Rachel, are you back there? I find you. <laughs> she came in just to pick
3: the door. Oh. There's a lone hand. Oh, or... well, that's Lydia, Lydia. Yeah, that's Lydia <laughs> That's true.
0: to them
4: Good morning. good morning let's go over a couple of announcements here number one and number two we got that down by heart our days of praise and acts and facts are still in the lobby good information there uh, obviously you see the work on the portico continuing uh, with any any grace or favor at all, we should have the ten up by the end of this week if uh, all things uh, remain current. I have a note here that Calvary Bible Church of Lapierer has invited Thornville Baptist to join them for a hymn sing at seven p m this I think it's six. is six I've got seven here, so. Okay. Well, let's hold the 7 <laughs> for now and if something happens, we'll get we'll somebody'll get the memo sooner or later. Now, this is a hymn sing. Is this like a uh, battle of the churches no. kind of thing? <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Okay. Uh If I may prevail on a couple of you that have been out for a while, uh, welcome back. Jerry, so good to see you back again. How is Charles faring? I see. Good. Encourage him to come. We'd love to have him back out. Doug? What a blessing it is to have you back in our midst. I I miss your announcements. I feel <laughs> like a very very inferior substitute <laughs> up here. But how was Laura doing?
0: Well, yeah. <coughs> she, she just, uh, got through the whole thing better than I, did. She, I would say she,
4: she Deer hunting?
0: Uh, she had not hunted this year. Oh. Uh,
4: Better encourage her to get the the bow strung up and uh, go stick a couple of deer. So, okay. Uh, please be mindful of our list. Church praying. Take a look at that and and uh, really give it some consideration and thought. Uh, is there any word on on uh, the Armstrongs? How they're doing? Does anybody have an update on uh, Mercy and? On Dan, on his uh, job situation. I had heard that uh, Dan was given an ultimatum that he has to take the, the vax shot or be terminated from his position. Is that still the case? Does everybody know, Jared? regardless, we, we need to really hold them up in prayer that uh, they would have the fortitude and the strength and the courage to, to stand their ground. So, Our scripture for meditation today is taken from the book of Psalm, chapter 37, verses 23 through 40, and that will be on page 876 of the Pew Bible. Would you please stand with us as we begin our morning with opening prayer. Elder Clayton, would you lead us, please?
0: Our Lord, we're thankful this morning that we can gather as your people. Thank you for this place that we can have and meet together. Lesson from the Scriptures and make application to our lives that we might live more like Christ. Lord, also I pray for our nation. It's in it turmoil. Our Dan facing termination from his job, but not just Dan. Thousands of others across our land are having to make a decision whether they do something against their Sinks when I when I think of that. that uh, we live in America, but yet they're being forced to do something against their will. So I pray for those people. I pray for every government official who uh, has uh, a heart in that decision making. Lord, again, you're our strength, and we look to you in uncertain
4: standing.
1: Good morning.
3: morning.
1: If you will please turn with me to 165 in the Trinity. 165 in the Trinity.
4: Your reading for this morning is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter twenty-one, verse one through twenty, and that'll be page twenty-nine again on your pew Bible.
1: Okay. <laughs> um, okay, Genesis. Chapter 21, starting at verse 1, going to verse 20. In your pew Bible, it's page uh, 29, I believe. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the very time God had promised him, Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. <laughs> when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and." Everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew (coughs) and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar, the Egyptian, had borne to Abraham was mocking and she said to Abraham get rid of that slave woman and her son for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son but God said to him do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave slave into a, a nation also because he is your offspring. Early the next morning Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulder and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow's shot away from where she, away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy's crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up, take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened the eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. Pray that the Lord would bless the reading of his Word.
3: Could you turn with me again to 193 in your brown hymnal? 193
2: in the brown hymnal. Our scripture text this morning is Genesis 21. Our last study showed us Abraham repeating the same sin in Gerar of Philistia as he had committed in Egypt, namely telling the citizenry of those two countries that Sarah was his sister instead of revealing that she was in fact his wife. Because of her exceptional beauty, Sarah was attractive to the men of the day in both appearance with regard to Pharaoh of Egypt and Abimelech of the Philistines. So if she were Abraham's sister, they didn't see any impropriety to seek her out as a wife for themselves. In the case of Pharaoh, you remember, God struck the Egyptians with disease to force Pharaoh to investigate. He did, and then he released Sarah to be with her husband, Abraham. In the case of Abimelech, God prevented him from touching Sarah and at the same time closed the wombs of all the women in his kingdom so that no children were being born. He too released Sarah. We learn from this that the fear of men has to do with punishment. We're afraid of reprisals if we do not comply. By the way, that's going on in our own country with regard to this COVID stuff. Get the shot or lose your job. By the way, some of our people are experiencing that very threat. Get the shot or lose your job. form of intimidation so we learn that the fear of men has to do with prompt punishment we are afraid of the reprisal Abraham feared for his life which he believed would be forfeit if the pagan people knew that Sarah was his wife very simply they're going to kill me to get her boy what a beauty she must have been someday we're going to see her but just think about that. Everywhere she goes the men are drooling <laughs> and they're trying to figure out a way that they can get her to be theirs. Well on this occasion Abraham had little trust in God's oversight and protection. He was fearful. So he got, concocted this plan. Well just just say you're my sister. and And they'll leave me alone. Yeah, but he put her in jeopardy. <laughs> he didn't think this through. We drew out three lessons. Number 1, love for God, which is the hallmark trait of God's people, still needs to be nourished and mature. You got to grow in your love for God. And then secondly, we learned that repeat or besetting sins plague the most faithful of believers. Sanctification is a process in which we learn more and more to love God and to love God more than life itself. We're born of God and God's seed remains in us and that seed grows and matures as indeed it should. We also learn that even in his disobedience, and this was an important point, Abraham, as a believer, was the conduit whereby Abimelech was forgiven and restored. Think about that. The prayers that reach heaven and open the treasures of God's mercy are the prayers of his people. I find that very interesting. Abimelech is not told to pray for himself. He's told, go talk to Abraham, he'll pray for you. And God will forgive you. We're the ones, God's people are the ones, that have access to the throne of God. Well, today's study brings us a long-lasting, at long-last, excuse me, the birth of Isaac and the expulsion of Ishmael. So in coming to God's word, let's ask for God's enablement. Lord, we're thankful for the truth of your word it reminds us of how it was in the days of old for God's people to live. The tests and trials they went through, boy. We have our own tests and trials, but not generally things like someone trying to take our wife away from us. So Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to understand the severity of some of these things and bless our study of the truth of God's word. Nonetheless, the trials we face are important to us. They're grievous to us. They do test us. They bring us a lot of anxiety and fear. So we're looking to you to comfort and to help us understand that you are in control of all the circumstances of life. They're not just running on their own. And the evil one does not have free course to do whatever evil he wants to do. He's subject to you. The world is yours. And we're thankful for that. In Christ's name. Amen. Our text before us today talks about the birth of Isaac. And it's right on schedule. If you think the good things happen a bit slowly in your life... Today's study demonstrates that not only does God not forget his promises to you, but his will for you is carried out right in time for you to see and to enjoy. 25 years earlier, think of this, 25 years earlier at age 75 before Abraham ever reached the boundaries of Canaan, God had promised him, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Genesis 12, verse 4. Now you understand that a person does not become a great nation apart from procreation. But we are categorically told that when Abram departed from his home country, let me read scripture here, Sarah, his wife, was barren. She had no children. Chapter 11, verse 30. In other words, she had always been barren. There was never a time when she gave birth and then through some accident or anomaly became barren thereafter. No, no, no. She was always barren. We have traced Sarah's burden through Abraham's journey, through Sarah's scheme, for example, to have children through marrying off her servant Hagar. You could have multiple wives in this day, and whatever Hagar's children resulted, they would be named for Sarah, not Hagar. So she knew full well that the child born to Hagar would be counted as hers. So here's what she said, chapter 16 verse 2, "To Abraham, go sleep with my maidservant, perhaps I can build a I can build a family through her." That's the way she's thinking. And we read in scripture that Hagar did become Abraham's wife, secondary wife. I think King James calls them concubines, which means a lesser wife. But this this was no resolution at all. From the get-go, Hagar despised Sarah for using her like that. And for a time, Hagar fled into the desert but was later instructed by the angel of the Lord to return to Sarah and be submissive to her, promising her that God would Make her child into a great nation as well. Now Abraham was age eighty six when Ishmael was born, Genesis sixteen: sixteen. So eleven years of marriage has passed. Abraham is still viral, but Sarah remained barren. Chapter seventeen, verse one jumps the narrative ahead another 13 years, saying, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and reaffirmed his covenant promise to Abraham to change his name from Abraham, exalted father, to Abraham, father of many. There it is. Oh, there's still this promise that I'm going to have many offspring. Hmm. It was also at that time that Sarah was promised, I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. She will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Chapter 17, verse 15 and following. Abraham found this utterly incredible, falling face down saying, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? That's just something that was inconceivable. He went on. Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? Now as we follow the timeline, we discover that Abraham was 75 when he and Sarah left Ur of the Chaldees. He was 86 when Ishmael was born. He was 99 when God reaffirmed his covenant with him and gave him circumcision as a sign of that covenant, Genesis 17. One year later, now our text, Genesis 21 verse 5 says, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. That would mean that Sarah was 90 years old. Oh, by the way, Ishmael would be 14 years old. All total for Abraham and Sarah, think about this now, all total, 25 years have passed with Sarah being barren all that time and by this time abraham 99 years old has lost his virility because while abraham produced a child with hagar at age 86 genesis 16:16 16, 16, he was 99 at sarah's conception and 100 at isaac's birth verse 5 of our text so what happened In those 13 years from age 86 to 99. Paul answers for us. I'm glad we have Paul's commentary on this. Therefore the promise comes by faith. So that it may be by grace. It may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law. But also to those of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you a father of many nations. He's our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Against all hope, I'm still reading scripture. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been sent to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old. Yeah, I guess 99 is about 100 years old. And he faced the fact that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith, gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Romans 4, 16 and 5. In other words, the delay was God's way of assuring that Isaac would be a child of grace by faith. How so? By allowing time for Abraham's procreative powers to die. And that took 13 years. There's no way they are going to say or be able to say, that Isaac was a matter of Abraham's procreative abilities. No. He has no procreative abilities. He has entered the same realm as Sarah. She's barren, and now he is sterile. Is he cannot sustain a child. By the way, the writer of Hebrews agrees. He writes, by faith Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful, and of Abraham who had promised, Hebrews 11, verse 11. He was enabled to become a father and he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man and as good as dead came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Hebrews 11, verse 11 and 12. So clearly what had happened to Abraham from the time of the birth of Ishmael To the conception of Isaac, 13 years later, what happened was that he was no longer viral. His procreative powers had died. Sarah's womb had been dead for 25 years. So we have a woman that can't bear children. She has not been able to do that. For a quarter of a decade, and now Sarah, or Abraham rather, is put in the same category. He's now no longer able to produce children. What that all means is that Isaac was therefore a miracle child. Think of it. Conceived and born at the direct result of God's enablement. And our text says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 3. You say, well, what's the point? Peter tells us the point. Here's what Peter writes. 2 Peter 3 verse 9. The Lord is not slow. In keeping his promise. As some. Understand slowness. I'm almost scratching my head. Because I'm almost on the side of the people that think this is rather slow. I mean, we think that 25 years is an awfully long time to wait on God to fulfill his promise to Abraham and Sarah. 25 years. But you know, if he had done so earlier, if God had done this earlier, there would have been no proof that Isaac was a child of God's grace and not of Abraham's own virility. So what was God waiting on? I'll tell you. He was waiting for Abraham's ability to produce children to die. So that no one could claim that Isaac was the product of Abraham's own virility as the father. Take away the miracle. Kill the miracle kill God's intervention but how much greater the joy for this couple to see God directly involved in their lives. Genesis 25 verse 7 altogether Abraham lived 175 years by the way 75 years with Isaac to watch him grow from a baby to an adult and A servant to find a bride for Isaac. Remember that? Age 40, chapter 25, verse 19. Eliezer went and fetched a bride. Sarah died when she was 127 years old. Genesis 23, verse 1. So she had 37 years of her life to be with Isaac. Long enough to see him become a man who loved and obeyed God. That's... That's a Christian mother's dream right there to see their kids come to know God. She got to see that. What I am saying is that God's timing is always on schedule. It's always on schedule. We scratch our head and we think, boy, this has taken a long time. I don't know about this. Maybe God's forgotten me. He hasn't forgotten a thing. We just get antsy because we're the ones that are impatient. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son. In his old age, chapter 22, verse 6 and 7. What does this mean? God has brought me laughter. Well, the context demonstrates that she's talking about giving birth to Isaac. You all know the circumstances of Sarah's conception. Chapter 17, 17, at the announcement by God to Abraham that Sarah would bury him as son, We read, Abraham fell face down, he laughed, and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Boy, that's a good one, God. Will Sarah bear a son at the age of 90? He then pleaded, and you know this, he pleaded with God to have Ishmael. Appointed as the heir. You know, I already have a son here, God. What's all this business about, you know, Sarah's going to have one. She's going to be in her 90s. I'm going to be 100. Uh, What about Ishmael? can't, Can't we go that route? He laughed. Abraham laughed as well and it was not a laugh of joy but rather a laugh of incredulity and unbelief he was not biologically ignorant he understood that his procreative powers were gone they were gone he knew it next chapter Sarah overheard the promise from one of the three visitors visiting them just before the destruction of Sodom. You remember that? And we read, Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So, Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Genesis 18, verse 10 and following. This too was a laugh of unbelief. She tried to deny the laugh, you remember. But God reprimanded her for that. Saying to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18, verse 13. That's a good thing to keep in mind, brethren. When you read the promises of God. Is anything too hard for the Lord? All of that by way of Review. Now, when we come to our chapter, after Sarah has given birth, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Verse 6. By the way, the name Isaac means God laughs. She named her kid. God laughs. And it's clear who's having the last laugh here. Sarah's laugh of skepticism and unbelief has come back to her as a laugh of joy, as is usually the case with any birth. I've seen many, many births being a pastor for over 40 years. I've never witnessed any births in which the mother or the father, for that matter, were all in tears and weeping in sorrow or disgusted or full of hate or resentment that a child has been born to them. It's always an occasion of joy, or has been for me anyway, seeing it. I think she learned a valuable lesson, which is don't laugh at God's promises. Delay does not mean God has forgotten. Elapsed time does not mean that God has lost interest and will not keep his promises. But the devil likes to suggest that to us. Paul writes, do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say, Yes, yes, or no, no. But surely, as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes and For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Wow. And so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 17 and following. We don't look at the promises of God because it's been a long time. We don't see that they've been fulfilled yet. We don't say, "Mm, I don't know. Maybe this is not going to happen. I used to think it would, but my, it's been 25 years, been 30 years. With regard to God's promise to Abraham and Sarah specifically, the writer of Hebrews says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, I'm still reading scripture. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Men swear by someone greater than themselves. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all the argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie the two unchangeable things, the promise and now the oath, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm, secure, It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, verse 13 and following. The oath is not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. He makes promises and he tags an oath on top of that. As a human being, Jesus taught his disciples not to swear oaths at all. you remember that? The only reason men will swear an oath is because there is a credibility problem going on. I mean, a person is talking or relating an account or making a promise, I think, of the politicians of our day. But the listeners are a little bit skeptical. Why? Well, because men are such liars that they will say anything to win a point, even when their words are full of deception and falsehoods. That's why. So Jesus taught a more honorable position to take, which would eradicate the necessity of oaths. What was that? I tell you, he says, don't swear at all either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, for you cannot even make one hair white or black. You have no control. Simply, this is Jesus' remedy, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Matthew 5, verse 34 and following. Okay, what is it about Satan, the evil one, which would cause Jesus to classify as sin, anything beyond being known as a person whose yes means yes and whose no means no? What is it about Satan? Well, Jesus labels Satan as, let me read it for you, a liar... And the father of lies. Wow. John 8 verse 44. So his point on oaths is this. Be such a person of moral integrity and truth. That when you say something. People believe you. That is. They assume no deception. They would take you at your word. The charge, liar, deceiver, would never enter their minds as they listen to you. Why? Because they know you to be a man or woman of truth. That's why. By the way, this is extremely important when questioning the veracity of God's word. Lies and falsehoods are vehemently contradictory to God's nature. You're going to be speaking for God, you better be known as a truth speaker. In Numbers 23, God defends himself. Here's what he says: God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and And not fulfill? Numbers 23, verse 19. And the implied answer is no, he doesn't. If he said it, he's going to do it. If he promises something, he's going to fulfill it. Contrasted to God, the psalmist says, In my dismay, I said, All men are liars. All men are liars. Psalm 116 verse 11. And that universal trait sometimes makes skeptics, even of God's people, when they hear God speak. Don't do that. Sarah laughed in unbelief when she heard God say that she would bear a son in her old age. But she had to eat those words. For one year later, Isaac was born just as God did. Which leads me to Sarah's consternation. Verse 8 tells us that on the day Isaac was weaned, that would be about two years back in this day, Abraham threw a great feast. He was expressing his joy over Isaac. But Sarah's joy was clouded. Why? Well, she saw Ishmael. He's 15 or 16 years old by now. She saw Ishmael mocking Isaac, verse 9. The Hebrew word means to scorn or ridicule. We get a little more help concerning what was actually going on from Paul's interpretation in Galatians 4, verse 29. Paul writes, at that time, the son born in the ordinary way, that is Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit, Isaac. The New Testament was written in Greek, and here the Greek word for persecuted means to pursue in a hostile manner, to harass or molest, to mistreat. So picture this, a 15-year-old bully tormenting a 2-year-old. No, not, not, not with physical harm, but in a manner in which the teasing took on a sinister nature. To defend his action, Ishmael might say, hey guys, chill out. I, I'm, only a little, I'm only having a little fun. I'm only teasing. But to the adult eye, it went far beyond an innocent prank. Alarms went off in Sarah's head as she realized that Ishmael posed a real danger to Isaac's future and a threat to Isaac's inheritance. It was nephew Lot all over again, usurping what God had promised alone to Abraham and she would have none of it for Isaac. She confronted, so she confronted Abraham saying, verse 10, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for the slave's woman, son will never share in the inheritance of my son Isaac. Genesis 21, verse 10. And though this distressed Abraham greatly, because Ishmael was also his son, verse 11, guess what happened? God supported Sarah's analysis and comforted Abraham's heart with the promise that he would make Ishmael into a nation, verse 18 says, a great nation, for Abraham's sake. So God basically said to Abraham, do what Sarah is suggesting, and don't worry about Ishmael, I'm going to bless him too, for your sake. So the next morning Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael on their way, verse 14, with food and water. But because Hagar wandered in the desert for some time, the water ran out. And both she and Ishmael were in desperate straits. They were about to die from dehydration. God heard Ishmael sobbing, verse 17, directed Hagar to a well of water, verse 19, from which they were able to revive and move on. So Ishmael grew into manhood and became an archer, a skilled hunter. He became the person God predicted of him when Hagar had fled from Sarah back in chapter 16, verse 12. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. His descendants are listed as 12 princes in Genesis 25, verse 16 and following, who live near the border of Egypt. And verse 18 says, They lived in hostility to all their brothers. Guess who? Living down by the border of Egypt. It's a telling observation here. It's referring to the Arab nations. Also here in this text is a different Hebrew name for God. Verse 17, where it says, God heard the boy, Ishmael, crying. Everywhere in these chapters wherein God reveals himself to Abraham and Sarah, he uses his name Jehovah, the great I Am, the covenant-keeping God who speaks and acts. But in this verse, he doesn't use that name for himself. He uses the name Elohim. The God who rules and governs the nations. Who is creator. Cares for his creation. But not as Jehovah. Who has promised life and immortality to his people. What I think is going on here is Ishmael is Abraham's offspring. Only in the sense described by Paul. Who says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through a promise. Which things are symbolic, says Paul. Now he's going to tell us what's symbolic. For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, that's Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free which is the mother of us all. Who's us all? The believers. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Galatians 4, verse 22 and 5. I say this to all our legalistic believers that want to strap you with, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there. They're more legalists than Moses. Watch what you eat. Can't eat that. Can't go there. Can't drink that. Paul said, don't you realize we are children of the free woman? that doesn't mean we have liberty to sin, but it does mean we have liberty to choose for ourselves those things which are fine in God's creation. We can think for ourselves. We don't have a hard rock over over our lives. So what do we learn here from Isaac and Ishmael? One, First thing we learn is that faith in God is genuine and it does not diminish because God's timetable seems to us to be awfully slow. The promises of God while dealing with time are never nullified because years and years have gone by without fulfillment. You know, we Christians need to think about this. In Peter's day, the mockers zoned in on jesus promise to return to come again as he promised for example in john 14 verse 3 if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where i am this was their taunt where is this coming where's this coming that he promised I mean, ever since our fathers, and they're referring to their ancestors, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of creation. 2 Peter 3, verse 4. So the scoffers are appealing to uniformity in the creation, to the status quo, nothing changing to upset the universal timeline. Solomon, speaking from his human wisdom, words it this way. Well, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9. Well, this may be true as to the normal experiences people go through from the cradle to the grave, that is through life, But the mockers of Peter's day were applying this stagnant timetable to the promises of Christ. As though God was subject to time instead of the creator of time. Peter, however, explained the real error. It is not that Jesus has had a memory lapse concerning his promise to come again. But that the mockers have had a memory lapse. What's their memory lapse? Because the creation has not been static. Wow. They de- he goes on. They deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, which is what they were questioning, you understand, the heavens existed The earth was formed out of the water and by the water. And by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's referring to Noah's flood. How convenient to forget, to dismiss such a life-altering change like Noah's flood. In other words, the world has not remained static for millennia. What is more, Peter went on to explain that there's another event God has promised. Let me read it for you. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. 2 Peter 3 verse 4. So to challenge the skeptics, Peter reminds us that God's timetable works like this. Don't you know? With the Lord, a day a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. That would be the skeptics who like to put God in a box. And if he does not act or react on their prescribed way, God is deemed a liar or he's deemed impotent or forgetful or whatever else. But if we possess true faith, God's gift, by the way, part of our new nature created in Christ, then God's timetable is not in question. Hebrews 11 says, and by the way, that's the by faith chapter, As it He gives us an entire genealogy, as it were, of Old Testament believers who trusted God and ends with these words. These were all commended for their faith. Yet, yet, none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us So that only together with us would they be made perfect. Hebrews 11 verse 39-40. That's in the future. How's that? With us, us with them, we're going to be glorified together. One people of God. Trying to second-guess God is not a good thing. Just take Him at His word. Believe by faith what He has promised. Secondly, being attached by name or experience to a Christian family or to a church is not a sure proof that you are one of God's children. That's another lesson. Both Isaac and Ishmael had the same biological father. Who, in the case of Abraham, was also a father who knew and trusted the Lord, who became the friend of God. But what a difference spiritually between Ishmael and Isaac. Wow. As prophesied by God, Ishmael, Abraham's firstborn, was in the seat of preeminence. He was older, he was skilled as an archer, even more favored then Isaac, who in the mind of Abraham was just a promise. Remember, on a number of occasions, Abraham even pleaded with God to make Ishmael his favorite child. But God knew something about Ishmael that Abraham did not. Let me read it for you. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone. Everyone's hand will be against him. And he will be in hostility towards all his brothers. Genesis 16 verse 12. And when Ishmael finally died at age 137, this was the legacy of his descendants. Let me read it for you. They settled near the border of Egypt and they lived in hostility towards all their brothers. As Ishmael was, so his children became. Same today. As the Arab descendants of Ishmael still have an offense against Israelites, would gladly wipe them off the face of the map if the world would tolerate. So these two men, Isaac and Ishmael, started out with the same spiritual father. Both of them carried the sign of the covenant in their flesh, circumcision. Outwardly, they had the same advantage. They heard the same Bible stories, the same applications. They could be viewed as being on the same page spiritually, but they were as different as night from day. Ishmael was wild and noncompliant. He married an Egyptian, which his mother obtained for him. Verse 20 of our text. He lived the life of a pagan. Isaac waited to age 40 to marry. And when he did marry, he wedded a woman from Abraham's family. People who knew and loved the Lord. So Ishmael and Isaac were as different as Jacob and Esau in the generation to come. So what's your point? My point is that exposure to gospel teaching and godly examples in the family is not salvation. That's not salvation. These influences can be and are rejected by many youth when they come of age. Peter tells of the influence of worldly teachers. He writes. They promise you freedom. While they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world. By knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But are again entangled in it. And overcome. They are worse off. At the end than they were at the beginning, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Second Peter two, nineteen and following. We don't much think about that, do we? You're not going to believe what you've been exposed to in terms of the gospel, but you've heard the gospel, but you have rejected the gospel. Peter saying, you're in a bad way. You're worse off than if you had never heard the gospel. Because now you've rejected the ruby, the diamond truth of the gospel, salvation in Jesus Christ who has come. You've rejected the Savior. You know what a lot of the Old Testament saints struggled with. So I say to young people, make good use of your godly heritage. Profit spiritually from the gospel teaching given to you by your parents and in the church. Now you can choose to be a wild donkey. Brain kicking, biting, bucking. In the spiritual wasteland of the world. Or you can choose to heed the warning of God. Say to them as surely as I live. Declares the sovereign Lord. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But rather that they turn. From their ways and live. Turn, turn. From your evil ways. Why will you die? O house of Israel. Ezekiel 33 verse 11. That's a good question. Being a member of the Jewish nation did not save these Israelites. I'm sorry. Nor will living in a Christian home and attending a Christian church, that won't save you either. You must turn, turn from your sin. Flee into the arms of Christ to be smothered in his love and forgiveness. Why would you choose the pathway of death? But people do it all the time. And I have to say, children raised in Christian homes do it all the time. We hear, you just wait till I'm 18. You just wait till I'm 19. I'm out of here. And when I'm out of here, I'm out of church and God and all that religious stuff. And yeah, they go out into the world and they die in unbelief. That's not good. That's pretty sad. That's devastatingly sad. Who are you hurting? Mom and dad? Yeah, they're going to grieve over that. But in the final analysis, they know what you don't know, and that is you are responsible for your own conduct. And no one, including mom and dad, can change a heart. Only God can change your mind. Only God can change your heart. So there's a prayer place to start. Oh Lord, if You are real and true. And the gospel is in Christ and Christ alone. Change my heart. Change my mind. Show me this. Where is he going to show you? Thy word is truth, said Jesus. God's word is where he's going to show you. Our Lord, we thank you for your truth. Help us to be people of truth. I pray that you'll help us. Be with each of our young people in particular. And adults as well who may just be playing games with God. Not really true in their faith and in their obedience. Grant us empowerment of your Holy Spirit. Only God's Spirit can change a heart. Faith is the gift of the Spirit. It's his sword. It's what he uses to bring about repentance and truth. There's so many voices saying to us opposite of what we're reading and studying in the word. But you said it best, O Lord. Thy word, as you prayed to your father, thy word is true. We can trust the word of God. Because God is not a liar like men. We started out in today's study and we learned that. He's not a liar like men. In fact, the scripture says it is impossible for God to lie. He is truth personified. He cannot deny himself. He cannot unchange what he is by nature. I pray that we'll see that. Bless any struggling with faith today. Grant them faith. Grant them repentance to turn away from sin. Exalt yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is from the Trinity, 568 in Trinity. 568 in Trinity.
3: 462 in the in the brown handle is our last hand. You changed it? Yeah,
2: I think your
3: bulletin Yeah, I
2: changed it. What was it? Four sixty two. Four six two in the brown? The bulletin was wrong. Tonight, we're encouraging everyone to go to Calvary Bible for the hymn sing that's going to be there. And I'm told it's 7, right? 7 o'clock, not 6 o'clock, like I thought. So, 7 o'clock, at Calvary Bible. And uh, I would encourage you to, to do this. You say, well, that we don't normally drive way up there. Yeah, way up. 20 minutes. Uh, it's good relationships for us to be involved where we can be in terms of uh, participating in some of the things that go on that we can participate with. We may not be on every page doctrinally, but we can sing the hymns of God's grace and we can enjoy a fellowship with others. And uh, I know Pastor Jeremy, you think he's a good and gracious man. So it'll be, a, it'll be a great time at 7 o'clock tonight. We are dismissed.